When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lure, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Tim Cato of The Athletic, and as you would expect, we focus on the Dallas Mavericks, a team that I am having real trouble figuring out, and Tim, well, let's say we help each other on that process, the Luka Kyrie fit, what the Mavericks need in order to be a potential championship contender in the short term, in the long term, reassessing the Jalen Brunson situation, their young players, Josh Green, Jaden Hardy, and much more. I thought it was a really great conversation. Runs about 40 minutes and a lot of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Happy to be here. I like to do team-specific episodes with the franchises that I'm having the most trouble figuring out, and um, that leads me to lean on people who know who know the teams, who watch them more than I do, who are more connected, and the Mavericks are certainly fitting that bill right now. How would you assess a Kyrie Irving has played in 11 games since the since the big trade? How would you assess, not just him, if you want, I mean, if you want to focus there, you can do that, but more like how the Mavs have been during that time. Man, you came to a guy who uh, is also struggling to figure out the Mavericks right now. Um, I would say that, uh, so we're recording on Thursday, and the Mavericks struggled to beat the Utah Jazz, lost to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, In those two games, they really struggled on offense. And I think that there is a conversation to be had about the offense, what it looks like with Kyrie and Luka. I'm more willing to chalk up, you know, a two-game sample size of bad offense as being an outlier. Offense has not been the problem since Kyrie arrived in Dallas. Uh, I don't think that there's any legitimate, uh, realistic reasons that offense will continue to be a problem for the Mavericks. When you put Luka, uh, assuming his health, I, I do think this this uh, thigh injury that he's dealing with has affected him uh, pretty clearly on the court. Um, but if, if Luka's healthy and if Kyrie is, is doing... Uh, what we expect of him on the court, which he has since he arrived in Dallas in the 10 games he's played. I do not expect the offense to be a problem. And again, we can get to that in a little bit. It's been the defense and the defense. It's been horrid. It's It's been horrendous. You know, some of that is Luca. And at times that feels like the team is playing four on five. Um, but but another part of it is is defensive talent. And, um, you know, it was always going to be an issue um, after the Irving trade. The, the Mavericks didn't have a lot of d- defensive talent. And then they sent out Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, they don't have any big wings. Uh, they don't have any rim protection outside of Maxi Kleba, um, who is working his way back uh, from a hamstring surgery. Uh, you know, sat out on in, in Wednesday's game uh, due to that, but more, more, you know, just precautionarily um, as as he works his way back. But 
overall, this this team is is uh, you know the the perimeter defense is not stout enough to uh, hide the fact that they don't have rim protection. The the rim protection is you know the coaching staff is trying to compensate by really packing the paint, um, which is allowing a lot of open threes, corner threes, um, and and players to kind of get what they want. And everything that we saw that was so successful last season for the Mavericks uh, on the defensive end, you know the the cohesion and the rotations, it's just it, it's taken a step back and something that last season already felt a little out of nowhere um you know their their rapid defensive improvement a lot of that has come unraveled uh you know this season and, and i think that by far is is what's kind of preventing this team from being you know anything close to a title contender one stat on that is that in the games which not all of which Kyrie or Luca has played in the Mavericks are 25th in defense since Kyrie Irving's first game with the Mavs and I think that's appropriate like that isn't to me it's uh, oh opponents are making a ton of tough shots or anything like that no I, I think the Mavericks have been roughly the sixth worst defensive team during that stretch and the analogy the thing that came that struck out to me in the first I, I've watched the Mavs of course plenty since then um but the first Kyrie Luca game was that their defensive kind of talent plus execution it reminded me actually a lot of last year's Utah Jazz except that last year's Utah Jazz had Rudy Gobert cleaning up the messes and the idea is basically there are a lot of different ways that defenses can succeed and fail but one of them is how aggressively how successfully can you prevent penetration like how, how much can you you could do that by selling out to protect the basket you could do it by having good one-on-one defenders a lot of those a lot of those sorts of things you could with some teams you can do it by switching and with the Mavericks they just I, I don't think they have enough guys a they don't have enough guys that are like stout and consistent in those ways but they also have enough places that opponents can choose to attack that especially against opponents that have multiple threats which some teams of course do it becomes a situation of mitigating damage rather than preventing it yeah i think that's a that's a good summation um you know dorian finney smith has probably been their best perimeter defender um reggie bullock has not been quite as good this season um josh green has had a very strange season but I, I maybe not regress defensively uh and, and clearly he's 22 he has the makings of a very good wing defender um he's above average most nights but he's not spectacular on that end and it just results in you know too much uh perimeter gerbil penetration and in last season you know in this season they you know jason kidd likes to double stars um which makes sense they don't have a stopper and you know the rotations to you know work around and, and get back in the right places have not been as good i mean even in wednesday's game i there was an instance um, where they they double teamed Brandon Ingram, but it was two small players, and you know he just kind of held the ball, surveyed the floor, uh, had two players attached to him, but they weren't. Um, you know, they, they they couldn't affect him as he basically waited until he found the open guy and made that pass. And it, it was, you know, it was quite literally turning it into a a, a four on three situation for the Pelicans on offense um, with with, you know, no, you know, no benefit to it. Um, there was sorry, think, sorry, there was a point uh, later in that game with when I mean, CJ McCollum went totally off yet. I believe it was 13 straight points towards the end of that game as the Pelicans seized control. And something I noticed was that the doubles were so consistent and not varied that it seemed like they it, it's sort of like a really predictable um boss in a video game where it's like oh well you know they're going to do this <laughs> yeah. then that and so then you just you just start to price in like okay we do we do this we do that and then so it's it's not work 
Like, you know, the, the whole idea in many ways of defense and offense to some extent is like forcing your opponent into tough choices. And so that could be like, oh crap, you have to guard Luka Doncic one-on-one with a small guy. And that's how one of the ways the Mavericks can make teams pay. It's the same on the other end. And it's like, if you, if you're not actually putting them into difficulty and they know how to time it, they know how to game it, like they, or they're bringing their best shooter like directly next to him. And so the double is coming from this spot. And so this guy's going to have a wide open three, like, and it's, they're maybe it's their best available shooter like those sorts of wrinkles are not that hard to discover even in a regular season game ever did a good job um basically trying to uh tempt teams into you know playing through mismatches in the post with players that are not suited to play through the post um i thought they did that pretty well against deandre ayton again mm-hmm. um you know in the most recent uh matchup between those two teams but the lack of uh size with their wings once again um you know especially without dorian finney smith they just they don't have tall lineups out there uh as, as much anymore and and that shouldn't be the case with luca as your point guard but you know too often they're they've they've conceded a lot of size um you know they don't maxi gives them slight somewhat more realistic looks at at two big lineups but um you know this this lack of size and, and the scrambling that they want to do is is too often leaving you know just really undersized player players underneath the basket and you know i i even think jalen brunson has hurt them because he he would always at least rotate and be in the right spots he was their leading charge star last season you know that is the sort of thing that allowed the defense to take even though jalen brunson obviously has his you know size deficiencies and defensive limitations just losing one guy who doesn't you, you know who always made the right defensive rotations and you know replacing them in some ways with tim hardaway jr who does not do that um i, I think that has definitely affected them this season it's a great point and and it's also a reminder that there are a lot of different ways to be po- helpful, positive, or not negative on defense. And I think Jalen Brunson has done a lot of those, and you can see them benefiting the New York Knicks as well. So the defense, I, I think to an extent, that will be a challenge. That will be something that this Mavericks team needs to navigate. And we also knew that incorporating, adapting Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving together was going to take time. And any any two strong players, any two players that can do, even if they're good on ball and off ball it still takes time where I, I mean you're we're still seeing those adjustments I was thinking back to the end of um was I think that was the end of the Suns game where they or was one of them where they weren't getting the other team's bad defenders in the actions but like generally speaking how are you seeing the meshing the synergy of those two stars going so far yeah they aren't doing a lot of uh Kyrie Luka pick and rolls um you know which is going to be an auto switch for almost every single team in the league um basically I I've seen more pri- priorities uh prioritizing for the Mavericks to get, um, you know, more traditional pick and roll coverages and, and try to get uh, double teams on Luca or, you know, get, uh, you know, get the ball to a, to a cutting roll man and then get defensive rotations going that way. In a lot of ways, Kyrie has basically just, um, you know, when he's on the floor with Luca, he's filled in with the Spencer Dinwiddie role, where a lot of the times Luca is initiating on the right side of the floor and Kyrie starts on the left corner or the left wing. And the idea is that, you know, Luca is going to start the scramble and then get the ball to Kyrie and, and Kyrie can attack against a, um, you know, a, a moving, shifting defense uh, and, and, and get into his spots from there. And I, I, I don't think that's the, the wrong strategy. You know, I, I think that there are some more sets, some some DHOs that I think uh, it would be interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I think I believe it was the Suns game as well that um, there was some uh, there's some pick and roll actions where uh, Dwight Powell came and, and set the screen and then set a screen for Kyrie you know coming from the corner 
and he was able to catch, uh, you know, with a with the big man still showing to Luca, not yet recovered. And so that would give Kyrie kind of a one on two situation where you can navigate the screen. So there has been some things that, that, that we're starting to see. And the numbers when Luca and Kyrie are on the floor are just astoundingly good, uh, probably a little bit worse after the Pelicans game. Um, but but they that that has not been the issue. Uh, now, Luca himself, uh, when he's on the floor by himself in a drastic change from what it was, uh, you know, before the Kyrie trade, the offense has not been good uh, in those minutes. And I am mostly going to chalk that up to, you know, Luca being uh, hindered with this injury. Uh, the oppo- uh, opposing three point percentages have been really high in, in the Luca only minutes. And so there's some random variation to that. But yeah, there's there's definitely some adjustment going on. There's there's definitely some um, cohesion that needs to be built, uh, which may not be built if Luca has to sit out a game or two to, to get this you know thigh injury correct. Um, but you know that's that's the the focus or the the hope for the rest of the season is that you can build up some synergy between these two players because like you know like I said you know when you have two of the top ten offensive players in the league it it should it should be you know a matchup nightmare and you should be getting good shots just about every possession down the court the the overall stats on it are pretty striking so the Mavericks have a roughly average defense in the Kyrie plus Luka minutes so far but they have a plus nine point two cleaning the glass net rating because. They are they're scoring 1.24 points per possession, which is completely ridiculous. And so that when you think about the potential gains that could be coming, when you think of you know like the the improvements that you get over time and and adaptations that a coaching staff can make, and also like theoretically you could say adjusting some of the complementary talent, though that could also be adjusting it to have more capable defenders in time. Like maybe you use the mid level or whatever on a better defender who is also a worse offensive player. Like there are of course questions there, and and like what I think. I think there have been times watching this Mavericks iteration where you go, oh yeah, like the that that part is going to work super well. And I agree with you, the Luka only minutes being below the usual standard now, it seems more like not only small sample, but non-representative sample. And you brought up the Luka's, Luka's thigh issue, and I want to talk about that in a sec. And so the the kind of the, one of the theories of the case for the Mavericks was we're so good on offense that you the other part will shake itself out. We've seen a lot of teams go to that approach at times over the years. Hasn't led to a championship yet, but it has led to some dangerous teams. And so for Dallas, that like that part of it, I would say the early returns are are pretty positive, especially when you add in that thigh issue. And so the question for you, I mean, he, obviously Luco left the game early on Wednesday, which they eventually fell to the Pelicans. How like, and it seems like he might miss some time now. Is do you think this has been bothering him for like? Are we talking about a couple games, like a couple weeks? Like, how have you seen it? A couple weeks. He he said that he started feeling it um, the the second game after the All Star break, okay. and so this has been a lingering issue. And to be frank, you know, just about since the All Star break, uh, Luke has been putting up really good numbers. But you know, I watch every single game of his. In, in in watching them, he has not had his same level of impact. I, I think probably the best way to describe it is that you know he's still getting to his spots, but he's not getting to his spots so decisively that defenses are really shifting around him. And you know, he's going to make his. Difficult floaters, but but he's not um, you know he's not scaring defenses as much as he usually does. Um, even if he's getting off a lot of the the same passes, um, you know there's not as much uh, scrambling happening when Luca has the ball when Luca's driving, uh, just because he's a little bit more 
labored getting into the paint. Um, I, I think if, if there's one other reason that the, the Luca only minutes have been a little bit worse offensively, it's that, um, you know, I think it comes from the lineups that Jason Kidd is playing. And, you know, you talked about the team, you know, getting a little bit worse on offense by signing, you know, looking for defensive players in the offseason. I, I do think that's probably, you know, the way that the, the defense improves. But Jason Kidd has tried to do that with the roster that he has. Sure. It, it's just that the roster isn't able to do that. You know, the team went inside Justin Holiday um, and they've been playing Frank Nilakina. And both of those players are, frankly, not that good. You know, we'll, we'll see what Holiday probably has a place in the rotation. You know, if he can hit a few shots, he's a capable defender. Uh, Frank Nilakina's defense has not been as impressive this season, and he has been horrendous offensively. He has been, you know, he's it, it does not seem like like his his decision making and, and his time on the court. He just seems a good half second slow at all times whenever the ball's in his hands. And, um, you know, the Mavericks had options and, and chances to improve that. Um, but they, they didn't. And this is the, the roster that they have. And, and Jason Kidd has been very stubborn about just trying to flood the floor with, you know, his theoretically defensive first players. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's the right approach. And, you know, it's, it's a very I- idealistic approach. Uh, I'll give him that. You know, I, I think that he's right that you got to defend in the postseason if you want to go anywhere that they, they, you know, if this team were to be a title contender this season, which I think that ship has sailed, but it would have come from the team scraping together an average defense of some sort to go along with the offense that, um, you know, just was so good that it didn't matter who you put around Luca, but it might matter a little bit. And, you know, the Norland game was a, was a really good example of that where Norland's built their lead when Justin Holiday and Frank Nilakina were on the court. Um, I believe along with Luca and I think so. Yeah, that's what I remember. And then there was a big fourth quarter run. And that was when the Mavericks went down about 20. And Jason Kidd was like, all right, I'll play all my offense first players. And Jaden Hardy is a rookie who is not a good defender. Just, you know, he certainly gives up some of those winning margins just because he's young. You know, he's 20 and he's, um, you know, still learning what this league is like. But he can score and he can shoot. And he's one of the, you know, the only other player on the roster who can reliably get to the rim, um, you know, beat his man and be a threat at the rim, a very willing shooter. Um, you know, the moment he got introduced to that game, uh, you know, it, it took him like two minutes to get his first uh, blow by layup. And he, I, I believe he finished four or five shooting, um, something like nine or ten points. I uh, had a hellacious dunk, um, mm-hmm. you know, which is, you know, as as much as I'm, I'm curious about him as a prospect, I did not realize that, you know, a 6'4 combo guard, you know, was going to just be, you know, hammering on a, who was it? It was... um. Uh, it was it was the Pelicans uh, rookie uh, uh, Trey Trey Murphy uh, who's got size on him and mm-hmm. he just went up and, and cocked it back and and, and got it over him um, you know with a couple steps which was which was really impressive he's a really talented player uh, who probably does more to affect the team's ability to win than Frank Nilakina. Uh Davis Bertans was another player playing in that stretch and again obviously Davis Bertans has a lot of defensive issue he's going to be targeted he is not the type of player you can have in the rotation as you make a deep playoff run but I don't know if the Mavericks can be anything but pragmatic right now when they're eighth in the Western Conference when they're losing games that you know against teams that are floundering right now I, I do think that that kids stubbornness to play the way that he thinks in the postseason he's talked a lot about the regular season being a uh, you know a, a test tube about it being you know a dress rehearsal I, I I don't know I don't know if you can do that I don't know if you can do that if the Mavericks are where they are right now in this in the standings and if the season is going along like it is because you know these supposedly defensive first players 
players are not really helping the defense while they're also hurting the offense. And so as much as most of this, uh, you know, offensive struggles with Luca, um, you know, on the on the floor by himself, you know, in the past couple games, even when he's paired with Kyrie, as much as those struggles are mostly about Luca to me, some of it is that the lineup decisions, I think, need to change going forward. Your description of it as idealistic, I think, is really on point. And it's the the idea that you think about what this elements need without thinking of the players that provide those elements is is so essential because you have to play the cards you're dealt, but that also means properly evaluating those cards. Like that, that's the, it's the, you know, the sequencing and everything else. And, and Hardy in particular has been, I think he's been better for them than I anticipated. A, young players are almost never positive, but B, like ha- we know from watching the Mavericks over the years that a capable, aggressive second side player who can do things with the ball in their hands can work really well next to Luka Doncic. And ideally that player can shoot well. I mean, Jaden Hardy so far, small sample of course he's about 400 minutes played but he's making 36 percent of threes taking seven per 36 which is a great rate and he's there's some difficulty in that shot mix there's depending on which shot we're talking about and so the difference between having players and it's so funny we're talking about this a lot with the pelicans game the pelicans play some very limited offensive players as well and like that gives teams easier outs it allows them to shift their personnel to the bigger threats and it i this has come up a lot with guys like Isaac Okoro and Lamar Stevens. I watched the Cavs last night. It's part of why I'm bringing up those guys where I think sometimes perimeter players who are very limited offensively because of where they're positioned, it draws less ire and attention from media members, from fans alike, when that's actually the bigger sabotage than, oh, you're playing a traditional center. It's like, yeah, that that there are weaknesses to that. But generally speaking, those players are really important defensively. They're doing these other things. They could get offensive rebounds. But it's like limited offensive perimeter players, they, they muck everything up. They do. They do. We we saw it uh, in the Phoenix game as well. Um, we were just referencing two games repeatedly for for the Mavericks. But you know, when when Phoenix was was playing, um, uh, you know, they the way that game shifted is Ish Wright came in in the in the second half when was able to hit some threes, and you know they were not getting that from the fifth starter, um, whoever they played there, or they played Terrence Ross, who was just cooked on defense. Um, you know, multiple possessions in a row, and and you know the Mavericks actually look okay defensively when they can only guard or when they only have to guard two thirds of the floor and can ignore somebody, you know, in the corner, um, you know, but that's, you know, the same applies to them. If, if Frank Nilakina is in the corner and nobody's guarding him, um, it does suddenly become a lot easier to guard even Luka Doncic, you know, who is, uh, you know, as as good as we realize. And, uh, you know, in, in the most, you know, one of the more unstoppable players in the league, one of the most unstoppable players in the league. Let's let's not mince words here. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a that's a big part of it. Um, I have to I have to bring up Christian Wood here. I agree with Jason Kidd's overall view of him as a player. I do not think that Christian Wood is a starter or a third option um, or a player who could receive heavy minutes on a title contending team. I do not think that he does enough in his minutes to affect the team's ability to win. But when we talk about this idea of uh, idealism versus pragmatism, there are times this season where he was the only other player not named Luka Doncic, who could score the ball, who could, you know, affect the way that that defenses played against the Mavericks. And he probably should have got more minutes during certain stretches. Um, 
I, I don't know if the Mavericks, you know, if they came into the season, announced him a starter, all of this stuff, I don't know if anything would be different. You know, they've worked hard to turn him into a, you know, just an average defensive player this season. And he's had a few good stretches here and there. He's not a good defensive player, you know, and we both know that offensive bigs, um, offensive centers who are not defensive building blocks who want 20 plus million dollars per year. It's it's the least valuable archetype of a player pretty much in the NBA right now. That said, pragmatically, there are probably times this season that Christian Wood should have played more, even if I totally understand where the Mavericks are coming from when they announced him, you know, as someone who was coming off the bench when they wanted him to be kind of more of a Bobby Portis for them because they wanted to build a title contender. The problem is they just don't have the talent and still don't have the talent, even after the Kyrie trade, to really, you know, competently build the team that they envision, um, you know, being a a true contender with Luka, uh, you know, at the head of it. Um, for the postseason and, and that has been another issue this season um you know just or, or another representation of, of kind of the struggle that jason kidd has been very stubborn about this season one operating theory along that point is the idea that dallas and there are many teams that fit this description has a lot of players that would make sense like if if there were people that could slot above them in the pecking order you know the oh, idea man. and, Danny, and I, i've been saying this for like five years you're exactly right <laughs> and so that but the problem is those players are really hard to get and when, especially if you're limited on picks or just supply, like almost every player who's good enough to be better than Christian Wood, better than Moxie Kleba isn't available. And you, you, you cultivating that out of, you know, out of a second round pick or a late first or a mid-level exception, it's hard to do. And that's, it's a hard threshold to meet. I, I want to talk about Kyrie, but I actually want to ask you one question first. And it's something that's not at me and you're probably not going to be able to answer it because I don't know that anybody can. I don't want to get into the the mistakes and the sins of the early part of the Jalen Brunson negotiations, you know, not extending him in the early stages. But based on the reporting that is out there, it does seem like the Mavericks never even really made an offer that was truly close to the Knicks, what the Knicks were putting out there. And I mean, even if they got close, it was probably reluctantly and maybe after. I, that part of it, we can, I, I think we can kind of table unless you unless you disagree with that characterization. Um, the part that I'm interested in is just conceptually knowing what you know. If the Mavericks were either offered something similar or exceeded it in terms of years or dollars per year, do you think at that juncture, so we're talking more June of last year, do you think that, they, that Brunson would have said yes or do you think he was already basically out the door? It's a hard one to answer, uh, especially because I think it's connected to the fact that they didn't offer him, you know, these extensions. I, I don't. It, it seems clear to me that whoever was the driving force behind it, that 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 Jalen Brunson did not feel valued in Dallas. He did not feel valued um, by the team not wanting to extend him before the season because they wanted to keep op- open the option of trading him. He did not feel valued during the season. Um, and then, you know, the Mavericks, as you said, you know, I, I do believe it's correct. They did not really try to match or exceed what the Knicks ended up paying him. They did not value him to that level. It, so it's it's really hard to say, well, what if they had offered him more money? Would Jalen Brunson have come back? A big part of the reason that Jalen Brunson did not want to come back is because they weren't willing to, you know, like he didn't sure. feel that value. Uh, and he knew that it, even if he did sign that there was a good chance that the Mavericks, uh, you know, at the next deadline uh, might be looking to shop him. And, you know, 
that that he would be, you know, if he resigned on a contract that was, you know, amenable to what the Mavericks thought he was worth, um, you know, and let's even say the Knicks couldn't clear as much money and the Mavericks offered him, you know, that that Fred Van Vliet money as as they, uh, you know, uh, talked about or, or, you know, shared with reporters was kind of what they valued him at. That would have been, you know, to keep him on the team, but also to, you know, retain him as an asset to try to improve the team at a later point. And so, you know, it's it's it, there's some chicken and egg here. There's some, you know, where where does where does it, you know, where does the disrespect start? Where does the lack of desire to return to Dallas start? Um, it's all kind of a messy blur together line that, um, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, they're, you know, even years from now when people are willing to talk about it, I don't know if we can be completely sure um, exactly how it could have gone differently. But I do think it could have gone differently. I do think that the Mavericks certainly could have Jalen Brunson on their team um, if they had you know, done things differently at one point or another. Um, and, and yeah, if, if, if Luka Doncic leaves the Mavericks here in a few years, I, I think you have to point at, at last summer and, and Brunson leaving as um, probably where it all started. Let's transition from last summer to the coming summer, because it certainly appears that while there were plenty of reasons for both the Nets and Kyrie Irving to have tension, let's put it that way. Um, one of the points that led to Irving being frustrated with the Nets was their unwillingness to offer slash agree to an extension at terms that he was willing to do. And, and the trade structure makes it hard, you know, like the extended trade rules and everything else makes it harder for Irving to do something now, like even if the, even if both sides wanted to. And so it, it, I think that's important context for thinking about what comes next. And so there are circumstances, I think, of Norman Powell with the Blazers as the most obvious obvious recent example where a team acquired a pending unrestricted free agent with the idea that even though they couldn't sign them to a contract, they kind of knew where the terms were going to be. Completely legal, by the way, for anybody who's a conspiracy theorist, CPA type person. No, that's not a problem at all. Like You can do that. You can't ink the paper. It's not an enforceable deal, but you can have an understanding. And my question is, we the return that the Mavericks gave was definitely less than for a superstar player. I mean, because Kyrie Irving is the least is, is unusual in a variety of ways. Is, do you think that there is basically? Do you think he's going to have a more open or a more closed unrestricted free agency as of right now? I mean, I I can't imagine. Um, you know, and we're just talking logically here. The, the Mavericks don't give up. You know, the limited number of assets that they have available to go get Kyrie Irving and let him walk for nothing. That's not the plan. Um, you know, that. They, they are committing a future to him or at minimum the, you know, they feel very confident in, in the ability to, to sign and trade him this summer. Um, you know, at minimum that, that has to be what they, they believe as, as kind of a fallback option um, with the idea that they're with the more likely idea being that they're, they're going to resign him and that, that he's part of their future. And that once you have Kyrie, um, you know, it's a little bit easier to build around Kyrie and Luca just because, you know, you have the top two in place, um, you know, than it is to go get the the second star. And so, um, you know, there's there's certainly been buzz and, you know, a, enough of it that, you know, using kind of my, you know, ability to 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 read into things as, as a journalist is, you know, what smoke is real? Is there enough of it that, that we should be paying attention? Yeah, I, I think that we we should pay a little bit of attention to the fact that people keep, you know, suggesting Kyrie might be interested in, in L.A. still. Um you know, there's even been buzz of of Kyrie and Anthony Davis uh, being a possible sign and trade. That seems ludicrous to me. Like, just 
uh, logically speaking, certainly if if it were, you know were to become available, that's something you would do in a heartbeat. Anthony Davis is about the best fitting player you can imagine next to to Luca, but that that feels so far fetched. I you know I'm just gonna bring it up to to mention it and, and move on from. Um, but yeah, it's it's you know you, you don't trade them to to not, to not resign them. You know uh, you you don't give up the the limited assets that that you have. You know the Mavericks will have a couple first rounders um, that are able that they're able to move. Um, you know on on deadline night you know after or sorry on 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 the night of the trade you know once once the uh once the uh gosh the draft yeah what's the basically once the draft occurs then that that shifts their obligations and you can even like draft occurs that can be the the kind of the finish point you could have negotiated a little bit ahead we actually see this a lot in the league right now where it's like the people oh you can't trade first well you can trade it first once the draft is done and you could that means you can negotiate let's call it the two weeks before but yeah i think i think the best way to look at the mavericks is that you know they're trying to build a team around Kyrie and luca and there's a whole lot of questions that go into that um but uh you know if that's where they're at it's it's at least you know a a clear you know it's clearly the the second most you know the most talented player that luca's ever played with is you know he's he clearly fits into that that second option and and you know the the talent level you need from from the second most talented player on a on a potential championship team if they can get the right pieces around them and so i think i think that's the best way to look at the mavericks going into the summer the other thing that works in dallas's favor the lakers are incidentally a part of this is that Kyrie. it, it appears that he has valued financial security and i mean you could argue that some of the decisions that he has made in independent of those negotiations directly run against that but that's a separate point for a separate time but as i look at the landscape and something of course i do for the athletic is you know like the teams that have cap space the teams that have the the wherewithal and there aren't any to me that's especially with everything that's happened that scream like oh they're a real threat are there teams that could theoretically work their way in the mix of course are there teams that if Kyrie Irving were willing to take a significant financial sacrifice would come in the mix yeah just like anybody else but that you know that team of the oh the Mavericks should be really scared of x like i mean i of course i wrote about this with kevin durant back in the day in 2016 like there there isn't that looming team right now especially with the lakers acquiring vanderbilt and d'angelo russell and a player a third player i'm forgetting oh and malik beasley depending on what happens with him at the deadline they could make something work and so that that doesn't guarantee anything especially not with Kyrie irving especially with somebody who has seemed committed to different places shortly before spurning them and that is his want if he, if that's the way he wants to handle things like he can do what he can do that but that is a very positive thing for the mavericks not definitive but informative and like i mean we'll we'll have to see where things go uh the last thing because i know your time is um your time is valuable and you have a lot going on right now is you watch this team closely you're of course connected you're talking talking with personnel involved what is there anything that comes to mind that is that you think would be worthwhile to convey to people who care about the mavericks more in the league-wide context but don't get to track them as closely like we talked about Jaden hardy a little bit like players or circumstances that are that might that might be harder to harder to catch if you're not watching them as much as you do i i wanted to bring up josh green earlier Mm -hmm. and this seems like a good time to do that um just last month just in in february he had about his best month as a professional he was looking like he was directly on path to be 
you know, one of those really good dynamic three and D wings who, you know, gives up a little bit in three point shooting and a little bit in in defense, um, mostly with with Josh Green just because of his size, um, but makes up for it because he's a dynamic player who can, you know, attack a closeout, who can do some things with the ball in his hands. I, I think and I'm curious if you agree, but, you know, you look at teams like Boston and, you know, you look at, uh, you know, real contenders around the league like that is where three and D role players are going where it's not enough to, you know, just, you know, hit your corner threes at 45%. In fact, if you can only hit them at 40%, it's it's probably better that you have a little bit of bounce off the dribble that you, you can just do a little bit, you can create a little bit. Um, and he's really struggled over the past few weeks. And and that has been another part of the of the Mavericks struggle since the uh, trade deadline is that, you know, everything that he showed, um, you know, this season, and, and especially in the past couple months, um, has reversed to to a player who is really struggling to be able to create his own shot you know even if it's an assisted drive you know he is he's not getting clear looks at the rim um his three-point shooting you know he still knocks down some threes but he's he's hesitant to take them and and he's not such a good defender um as we talked about earlier that you know it kind of covers up a, a little bit of offensive um instability on his end and so that that has been one thing that that has uh hurt the team um Beyond that, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a team that you know, like you said earlier, it feels like they have a lot of players who would be really good fifth to eighth best players on a championship team. But that third, fourth, fifth after Luca and Kyrie is what they've been missing for a long time. And finding ways to fill in those gaps um, and just make this rotation a little bit more balanced and, and for it to make some more sense is you know what this summer is going to be for them. And you know, assuming they re-sign Kyrie. Which is, I really think, what you know this future all hinges on. Um, you know, that's that's really going to be the, the the priority for the Mavericks. On Josh Green, I've really liked um, the times when he's been more assertive in transition. I think that's worked really well, and and that's another place where bounce both the generally athletically, but also to an extent off the dribble, like a, kind of a, a a flawed four can actually work really well for a player like that. And with Green, a key question is going to be, you know, like, it's always this relative condition. Like he's making his threes, but can he take them enough? and it to that teams are going to actually guard him and like be there be there all the time because that's it's so funny when like some thresholds are are more evaluate are are easier to evaluate than others but it's sometimes and it can be a lagging indicator like sometimes guys get guarded out there long after their shooting has deteriorated but with with green i I, i've i'm impressed with the progress there just needs to be more of it there and i agree with you like the the on ball stuff looked better about a month ago six weeks something in that range than it does right now he is only 22 it can be in fits and starts they're also like josh green is having to to deal with incorporating a a big new player too and that can that can happen and and like something i bring up a lot um this came up i did a podcast with eric kareen about the raptors and scotty barnes is that development is not linear it's not exponential it's fits and starts and it goes up and it goes down and so like i think of green as somebody who has the potential to be a lot of those things but not a certainty and You'd rather have potential than nothing, but it the Mavericks like being so present and near present focused puts 
a little bit more pressure on green than I think is necessarily helpful. But some players react to that pressure and do well. And so I, I ho- distinctly hope that Josh Green will be one of those guys. Yeah, I think I think that's all fair. And, you know, I, I think he will be fine. Um, you know, I, I, whether he breaks out of this wall that he's hitting this season, he didn't really play his rookie year. So, you know, if, if you really want, you could say this is his sophomore slump, um, you know, after being so promising for so much of the season. Um, you know, I, I think he will be fine. I think he will be a very good role player uh, going forward. If there's any concern I have, it's that when he was playing his best um his ability to get to the rim was a little bit odd i guess mm-hmm. he, he kind of has that thing that you know like all the raptors have like all the raptors players where he doesn't beat his defender to the rim he beats them to 10 feet and then he does a bunch of pivots and somehow gets a shot from five feet and he's yeah. really good at converting that he was not good around the rim in college and that was a big concern for him he still doesn't you know he's got better at making layups he has very clearly improved in that area but the his lack of ability to get all the way to the rim at all times um is it's just something I'm, I'm keeping an eye on um he's a really good passer when he is able to get into spots to make passes but he still doesn't you know always uh do that uh, you know lately he's been driving himself into you know basically being like you know in the air under the rim with nowhere to pass to trying to thread like a really tricky um you know highlight pass that that doesn't come off and so again i am i am optimistic about his future in the nba he's still very young he was young when he was drafted and so you know i i think that that he will be fine in the long t- uh you know in the long term but the it's possible that you know a combination of him being further scouted uh you know his his struggles to you know perhaps adjust to Kyrie, like you mentioned and, and then just just somewhat of a wall or a slump that he's hitting um, is not something that's going to be fixed this year. And if it isn't, then I think the Mavericks ability to, you know, even be, you know, feisty in the playoffs is definitely diminished. One stat that I like to look at here is what proportion of a guy's twos are around the basket. And for Josh Green, it's about half. You'd like for that to be higher because the some of it is the, you know, the, the, trope that people say with analytics of mid-range is bad but it's like yeah people don't convert them at a high rate but also that can show the assertiveness the aggressiveness that you're talking about and so for right this year for josh green he's taking about 27 percent of his shots in the restricted area and then 20 percent from floater range and it's hard to make shots at a high rate so uh, it's hard to make shots at a high rate from floater range and so ideally and this is one of the things with strength with confidence with getting a more a more aggressive handle that can happen is you convert you convert shift some of those shots from one place to another and that is going to be something i watch with him yeah yeah i think i think that's uh the the key thing for him well, thank you so much for taking the time. Absolutely. Always happy to do it. Thanks again to Tim Cato for taking the time to come on. You can and definitely should read his excellent work at The Athletic. I love his perspective on Dallas, and he's done some great work outside of the Mavs as well, so you can check out his author page and everything else there. You can also follow him on Twitter at Tim underscore Cato. That's T-I-M underscore C-A-T-O. Really appreciated having him on and his perspective on on this team. I thought in particular the stuff about Josh Green and... Hardy and the Kyrie situation. I think all that's so fascinating to me and how the Mavericks can improve internally and externally their overall talent level when you don't have spending power and you don't really have great draft assets. I mean, they have some, but they don't have great stuff is a real challenge. It is a different part of team building that sometimes gets less attention because it's 
less wide open. It's less intriguing, but those decisions will make major differences. Like, of course, the decision to acquire Kyrie Irving in the first place. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different things you could do. You can subscribe and download every episode, whatever podcast player you want, Spotify, Apple, wherever. Real GM Radio will never come out on a specific day of the week because my availability, guest availability is always going to dictate the show there. You can also help other people find the show. That's word of mouth. That's leaving a rating review in your podcast player and hopefully, you know, the single episode or you think the series in general, we really appreciate that. This podcast has been around a long time. There are still people like, oh, I didn't know you do something other than dunked on. And I do. And that's this. And I love doing it. You can also check out my other work. Dunked on and dunked on prime are of course still going strong. Nate and I have started our position rankings, which are always a lot of fun. And we'll be doing those basically until the the end of the regular season. Then we will be doing 15 and 60s like normal and gamers. And we'll start off season previews at some point. That's probably not going to be super soon. That might be more a little bit more playoffy, but we'll have to see um, on that. And then of course, we'll get into draft work too. So it's always good to subscribe in the dunked on prime network is huge now with nate's podcast with john hollinger dan feldman's excellent work seth partnos nerd noshes which are great so you can definitely check that out i also will have written work at the athletic i still have a couple pieces in process of actually talking with editorial about which one to prioritize because i have two 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 that are kind of in the early stages and so it's like which one do i write first and so hopefully those will both be ready in the next two weeks i'm not 100 percent sure it just depends on how much time i have and how much flow i can get with either of them so keep an eye on that and that's the reason you can follow me on twitter and everything else um so you can see those things when they come to pass also we are going to be doing one more nba strategy stream so that's where nate and i call games on league pass that is going to be tuesday it is going to be lakers thunder should be a really fun one um even if the lakers are a little bit shorthanded ad has been awesome lots to to watch there and you can also ask questions using the hashtag nba strategy stream get them on the air on league pass which is pretty cool and it helps us out because it gives us something to talk about which we're never struggling for but we do appreciate as always if you have any feedback good bad or indifferent danny larue nba at gmail.com is the way to get it to me if you take the time to write it i will take the time to read it that is an absolute promise I'm trying to get better at replying. Um, I admit, though, that that's not the, the focus necessarily of that. And that is all for now. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.